Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got something I want to talk about to you. You're listening to Communication Mixdown. I'm Rima Rattan. Last September, this show looked at a paper titled The Paradoxical Extinction of the Most Charismatic Animals, which noted that the population of virtual animals in our world was giving people a mistaken impression about the real number of those animals in the wild. One of the paper's concluding suggestions was that perhaps advertisers using animal images should contribute funds towards conservation. Today, I am talking to someone who has helped found just that kind of initiative. Rob Caluso is the executive producer and founder of the Sydney-based production company Finch. With film director Christopher Nelius, Rob has created the Lion Share Fund. The initiative is co-founded and fully supported by the UN Development Programme, which manages the fund and its conservation impact through its network of NGOs, civil society and governments on the ground worldwide. It has also been endorsed by Sir David Attenborough. Rob kindly dropped by the 3CR studios a couple of weeks ago to talk to me and Stephen Downs, a specialist in marketing and brand strategy at RMIT, who was an interviewee for the show about the paper last year. What you're about to hear is an edited extract of a longer conversation. I started by asking Rob to explain a little about what the Lion Share Fund was. So the Lion Share is a very, very simple thought. The thought was, wouldn't the world be better if every time a brand used an animal in its advertising it would contribute to animal well-being and basically conservation. Obviously, we're in a horrific state on the planet. And years ago, maybe something like this, we didn't realise how important it would be. But the separation between how often brands use animals to generate profit and what's really happening in the real world is now undeniable. We've discussed before on this program how common it is to see animals used in branding in logos and trademarks and of course in in advertising i mean what uh, stats do you have about that that perhaps led to the development of the lion's share we had an early partner which was nielsen who were able to give us some pretty interesting stats according to nielsen last year 600 billion dollars was spent on media and 118 billion of it had an animal in it so it's just under 20 percent of all ads have animals in it, which is a surprising number. And it's a giant number when you get to the $118 billion worth. And what proportion of those would be animals that are A, wild and B, perhaps endangered or under threat in in one way or another, or their ecosystem or habitat is endangered? Look, a a decent part is for sure the the big charismatic animals as we understand them. The way we looked at it was, truthfully, cats and dogs get used in animals, and wouldn't it be great if cats and dogs were raising money for rhinos and tigers? The thought for us was all brands, all animals. How does it work, the Lion Share Fund? Okay, so I should say where it started, it was um, Chris Nelius, who's one of our film directors, had the thought 
of the lion's share and come up with it. He then spent time with some of the gang from Finch and together they worked out what that mechanism could be. We got to a figure through the numbers that we understood. Um, we realised that half a percent of the media buy, but only the media buy if you're using an animal. So half a percent of the media buy where you use an animal would be the contribution. So it's for small brands, it's a tiny amount. For big brands, it actually still is a tiny amount. But the in number, the scheme of things, in the scheme of things, it's small. We're talking about ten million dollar media spend easily for for a big brand in Australia. Uh, yeah, that would have an animal in it. Yes. Uh, maybe even less, frankly, is where the global brands come in really have a big impact. What was the process in getting it? Yeah, in going? getting it going. It okay. sounds so ambitious. <laughs> it, it it seems ambitious, and I guess it is. So Chris Neilius uh, was able to pull together the deck that explained the idea. Um, the gang, at fin- as I said at Finch, were able to you know pull it together in a way where I could present it. So it's still a, like a paper deck, and I was tasked to see whether we could do it. And so um, went on a little bit of a quiet journey to see how would well, what's the best way in. And um, very quickly you realise that following the money path is the way in. And luckily um, I have a relationship with um, who was the global CMO of. Mars and a fellow named Andrew Clark I built that relationship. So we, we've got a cl- close working relationship with Clemenger BBDO here and Nick Garrett, who was the CEO. Nick and I ended up having dinner with Andrew Clark in Melbourne and um, we pitched him the idea at dinner. And within a minute, he said, I love it. And he said, if you can get the United Nations on board, we'd be in, which gave us a, another pretty big task because we didn't know anyone from the UN. Yes, how do you go around attracting the attention of the United Nations? <laughs> so that's where um, maybe just some good friends and some life experience work. So a lady named Cheryl Winnell who runs the – she's the CEO of the Cinema Advertising World Association, so SAWA, they do all of the cinema advertising. She introduced me to a fellow named Maher Nasser at the UN. I wrote to Maher. I said, I have an idea. I think it will change the world. I need one hour and I'll fly to New York to meet you. And he said, if you can come in the next 10 days, because he was going on sabbatical for three months, he said, if you come, I'll meet you. So I didn't even change the deck. I used the same paper deck that we used with Andrew Clark, jumped on a plane, flew to New York and pitched for an hour to four people at the UN and we got their attention. What was their response? The room was divided. So Maho obviously already liked it. Two people in the room had said this will never work because conservation and consumerism will never, they will never meet. And then there was the fourth person in the room who was Mr. Boaz Paldi, who wasn't going to come to the meeting. It was a Friday afternoon and he, at a whim, decided to join and he loved it and he's championed it all the way through the UN with Maher and now obviously we've garnered a lot of support through all the way through to the top of the UNDP. So it was kind of his driving force in there. It was his voice that said, we can do this. And now he runs our secretariat. That's an interesting response, isn't it? That idea that conservation and consumerism might never meet. Have you encountered that in other spheres? Yep, it was a recurring theme. If you think about, so there's the politics of the United Nations, then there's the politics of big corporations, then there's the politics of the conservation world. Our logo is a little bird, and I've often said I've never felt more like our logo right in the middle of it. <laughs> it's uh, There's a lot of players with a lot of politics, and you know the conservation world is generally pretty strong with its views on what's allowed and what's not. Can domestic animals, can they get any um, relief where... You know, where there's struggles for domestic animals, could that be part of it? You know, 
early on to the conservation world, that was impossible. So we've had plenty of big chats. Yes, because you could have a country where there are lots of wildcats that are eating all the wild birds, right? Yep. And, yep. and, like and, getting, and yes. get, yeah, getting rid of the cats is actually going to, is a conservation effort. Correct. And there's also, across the world, there's 200 million homeless dogs. And my argument was what sort of non-compassionate world could we possibly live in where we didn't also address that because um, if we want to collect all of the money from all of the animals and all of the ads well we need to look after all of the animals on the planet and it is a as you will understand it is a very complex ecosystem and it's not just the environment it's not just wild animals it's all of us on a planet together and if we're all here together compassion's a pretty good place to start so, Rob, what is your pitch to an advertiser or or a, a brand, a, a global brand manager um, or a chief marketing officer about the Lion's Share Fund and why they should be involved? The, the pitch is really the idea. It is, wouldn't the world be better if every time you used an animal to generate profit, you contributed a tiny bit so you can continue to use the animals that don't sound like you're talking about the dodo? The two responses that we get, even though the idea is simple, brands think about these two things when they're saying no to us because we've had some no's. I always say to them, I know you're just saying no now. (laughs) Eventually, you'll be saying yes for sure. So the two challenges have been, or the main ones have been, brands say it's not part of our CSR. So Corporate social responsibility. They're already doing something in terms of corporate social responsibility. Yes, and they spend a lot of time working that out. And so if we go into a mark, uh, CMO, if it goes into CSR, they go, that's not part of our remit. That's not what the board has said we're doing. So thank you, but we're not aligned. I'm sure they get stacks of charities asking them for all sorts of things. Our answer to that is this doesn't belong anywhere near CSR. They should do all of those things. That's great. This is setting a new standard. This is the right thing to do. It's the way the world should be. And no CSR rules or guides should get in the way of this. Do you try and perhaps compare it to other licensing fees, other advertising expenses as a, a production company? You, you know, they'd be paying for shoots, they'd be paying for talent, they'd be paying to license music, they'd be paying to use celebrity endorsers, etc. You try and put it into that category of expenses? I mean, it obviously sits there. Uh, we intimate it, but we're just careful again because um, we're trying to be as carroty as we can before <laughs> the stick comes out, frankly. So, yeah, that's what we try to get to them, um, get them thinking pretty quickly, and that is the truth, and that's the way the world will see it as well. The second big challenge is brands say, oh, well, we don't use animals very often in our advertising, if not any. And so that's an easier one where I say, well, that's great. It's just not going to cost you much. It doesn't cost anything to sign. All we're asking is if you ever did use an animal, would you contribute? And most brands at that point say yes. And because of the scale of this, the UN has allowed us to do everything from um, if it's a big brand and they want Nielsen to monitor and send them a bill, they can. If they want to self-monitor, they can because it's a contract with the UN. And some brands say we don't spend a lot, but we want to give more and we can work out a bit of a you know, locked in sponsorship number with some thought. Um, And so really the question for brands is if you don't use a lot of animals, don't feel like it is just disingenuous. Feel like you're standing up to be heard 
and being part of a movement that will systemically change things. Does it map across? Like if I am a brand and I use a lion, does the money I spend go directly just to lion conservation? Because one of the problems Stephen and I have been talking about is the little brown bird that is very important in an um, ecosystem. Mm. It's just not charismatic and, you know, will just get overlooked. We explored this early because there's something really lovely about the idea that use a tiger money. That tiger will be working for its kin, saving its environment. That becomes almost impossible to do. And also... um there is an inordinate amount of dogs and cats in ads as well. So it doesn't work that way. It really is raising money. It's quite a broad. If you use an animal, all of the animals are going to combine together to work out how to raise money for themselves, Yeah, it does seem um, unfair. Like the, the, the cats in all the cat ads then that use that money to eradicate the cats in central Australia. Yeah. It feels kind of mean. Yeah. And I don't know how much money ants need at the moment. Maybe they do, yeah, but we I think don't know that yet. The bees need much more. The bees need more than the ants <laughs> right now. So um, yeah, that's the it's a big sharing pool. Mm. And just in terms of images, are, is it photographs or is it stylized images as well? I, I'm kind of curious. You know, like a cartoon of a panda. Is that something you should pay for as well, or just a photograph? A cartoon of a panda counts. Logos don't. So what we did was we took out logos because it seemed kind of it probably would have been quite impossible to get that over the line because some brands would have been um, hit very hard and that's not what this was about. This was more about getting the community of industry together. When you're using an image of an animal to generate profit, so if it's a half panda, half tiger, we only hit you once, but that's something that would count. Tree Project are a Melbourne-based organisation that have been replanting Indigenous trees in Victoria for 30 years now and we need your help. You can become a Tree Project member, a seedling grower in your own backyard, or organise your friends to do a planting day. If you're a landholder in rural Victoria and would like to restore habitat on your land, Tree Project is keen to help out. We also offer sponsorship opportunities and take work teams for a planting day. Visit treeproject.org.au to learn more. A 3CR supporter. You're with Communication Mixdown on 3CR. Along with Stephen Downs, a specialist in marketing and brand strategy, I'm talking to Rob Galuzzo, the founder and executive producer of Sydney-based production company Finch and the co-founder of the Line Share Fund. Can I ask then about the issue of what's been called sometimes greenwashing, where uh, there's been a criticism of companies that do undertake some kind of corporate social responsibility or, or indeed some kind of cause-related marketing, where they're contributing to a conservation cause while perhaps at the same time their harvesting of uh, raw ingredients or whatever else is in fact causing environmental harm. And that, yep. that's what's been described as greenwashing. Is that a, has there been pushback from any quarter in, in relation to this that maybe this allows companies to, um, to, to greenwash themselves somehow? Yeah, look, we've seen it across every facet that either complaint or I, I can't really work out how strong the voice is. You know, there's definitely an argument for it, for sure. But my question is, well, we need to start somewhere. We don't have time to unpick this and work out who's doing what and get everyone 
ticked up to a number scale where they're now allowed to help the planet. We need good, simple, systemic change. So what the lion's share is saying is, apart from tobacco and firearms and anything else that's illegal, of course, any other companies that realise that they can make a very simple choice of yes when we're going to use animals we're going to contribute to raise and remember we're we're on track to raising 100 million us dollars per annum by the end of next year quarter of a billion is the plan within two years after that per annum it's a lot of money it'll go to a lot of good and those brands can't say we have great process and they can't they actually can't claim anything other than when we use animals, we're going to contribute. And I think if you really want to break this problem down and take away that broad wall, is this brand is Brand X allowed to help? Because look at all the bad they're doing. They don't get to say that they've fixed the problem. They get to say, well, for that little bit, we're helping. And I think if this can spark other ideas and we start to tip the things that the brands need to do because the public's watching. Now I'm even less worried about their motivation, just their action. We will have an impact and we, we all get empowered to actually start to change things. So rather than complaining about brands or calling them out saying you're not allowed to help and does that mean this or does that mean that? These are little simple systemic changes. Um, I think that's probably a clue to us um, doing good. Do they get to say we support the line? Do what sort of do they wear a badge? <laughs> they can wear. They they get to say yeah. they support the lion share. They get to say that when we use an animal in our advertising, we contribute. They and don't get to say anything else. What they will get to do is we have already started spending money and doing some pretty interesting things around the planet, and we will send them those stories, and they'll go because we contribute to the lion share. Here's what we helped with, and they have that right. The stories are good. And I think um, there will be companies that just go, cool, probably there's companies that go, uh, the world's about to find out that the mechanism's built. We just don't want to get in trouble. Let's sign it. And there's companies that will go, well, let's tell those stories. Because when we talk about companies, that's just a giant group of people all working together, choosing to follow their purpose. Fellow citizens. So I can anecdotally speak for Mars, I think, where just their staff retention probably has covered almost their contribution. So if you think about the pride that a company like Mars can say, where they say, we kick this off, they wrote very big check to kick off because their media spend is very, very big. There's a lot to be proud of. And, you know, I can't speak to the rest of their practices, but I do know that the UN love, like, they're definitely one of the goodies in the scheme of the world of, um, of industry. But there's a lot for the people in those businesses to be proud of. And I, we're hoping that companies see the value of that as well, where they get to say, we're part of this and it's real. Yeah, and I guess customers can point out hypocrisy if they want to. That'll be up to them. That's the veiled threat. That will. Uh, that, that's what we. I'm almost certain with the way the world's going. Once we once we make it clear to the planet that the the system's built and that a brand only had to say yes, I think. Yeah, I think people will do some of the work. Well, speaking of telling stories, can you update us on perhaps what some of what's happening with the lion's share fund in in Australia, particularly? We were able to activate obviously with the horrific fires and the huge loss of animals the good thing about the lion's share is even though it's got all of the robust nature of the un it's still an aussie initiative and it is still pretty nimble so we were able to put a very quick call in and say right what is the action the steering committee is still quite small so we got a lot of info in from 
Um, the UN collected a lot of info about what would be the smartest way and the best way for us to spend the money here. That got collated, prioritised, sent round to the steering committee. That They gave us their two recommendations. Within eight hours, anyone, everyone on the steering committee basically just said yes, and the money has already been allocated. So there's an initiative on um, Kangaroo Island and an initiative around koalas as well from a veterinarian perspective. So one is a little bit more about instant relief and one is more about resilience and how do we bring that um, environment back. So that goes to one of my next questions, which is how do you pick initiatives or how do you choose what sort of organisations to work for? The UN has built us a secretariat as well as a secretariat. As I said, there is a steering committee and it's made up of um, some pretty big names in conservation and some small names in conservation. So Chris Neelis, one of the things he wanted to make sure of that it just didn't go to the regular players, that the smaller players as well had a voice. The challenge there is how do you make sure that, you know, people want to know that their money's going to the right places and it's hitting the ground. And so that's where the UN has done a lot of extra work in helping us find other players, the non-usual players that are having a big impact. What happens is um, twice a year initiatives are set. They're not one. They're not normally one-off initiatives. They're normally over the next five years. Here's what we want to do. Let's start to allocate the funds, knowing that the funds are growing and they are growing month by month with our signups. And so that steering committee looks at a very, very holistic look at the planet. It's why this probably is a good way forward, where it's not each country doing it. It is a global. It's a real global look at um, what's happening in the world of conservation. It just seems there'd be so much need across the world. There is. And it can't do all of it. Remember that this is just um, pointing out that we can make a difference with a simple systemic change. Yeah. And this, you know, even the numbers, even if we got to a quarter of a billion US, it does a lot, but it's not every, you know, it's not going to do it all. A big part of this is about hope as well. So, you know, the line that um, Clemens and Melbourne ended up coming up with was for for the conservation of hope. And it's a really important part of this. There's some really big initiatives and there's some really lovely small ones that are just as impactful. I'd love to talk about two of them that you might surprise you with how little money was needed and what we're able to do. The one that is already well into action has been for a year now was in the Nasia range in Mozambique. The UN pointed out that there was an anomaly where 200 elephants were being poached a year and it was way over the norm, poached being the euphemism for slaughtered. We worked out that their communication systems hadn't been updated since 1971. So they were so outdated and for $50,000 we upgraded their um, satellite data ability and their communication systems. And since that, not one elephant has been poached. Is that because they can act quickly if they, they see poachers? They can act quickly. In, yeah. They know what's going on. They're all, they're all in communication and we've taken it to zero. It's not like local communities in a place like that want the animals to be dead. It's just that there is so little economic opportunity. I mean, how do you create that sort of ripple effect so that the need to kill animals? Because you often hear that in trophy hunting, that trophy hunting, which just seems crazy uh you know i just get pleasure killing an animal with a gun because i'm really brave and courageous mm. that funds conservation i mean how how do you reconcile that yeah well and how do you is that something you can attempt to tackle 
It's why, so if you look at all the different parts of the United Nations that could have got involved in this, the part of the UN that got involved is the biggest part of the UN, which is the UNDP. So the United Nations Development Program is all about resilience and poverty. And I couldn't work it out for the first few months. I was like, huh, shouldn't we be talking to someone else? And we worked out that this is literally linked to poverty. What I like about it is we don't have all of the answers, but the way this has been built very carefully, we are in exactly the right place at the UN to understand the depth around that this is a a big function of this is a function of poverty. And so as we start to find solutions, it's not the simple conservation solution, it's the web solution. And we've got exactly the right people in the room. So it's been a few years now in the making. And there's been some of it's been accidental design, as I've just admitted, I didn't even know why we were working with the UNDP. But the fact is, we are. And so um, that gives me a lot of hope. And you, you, you bang on with it is a complicated issue. We don't have all the answers, but we've got the right brains with the right way of thinking that the solution isn't just about um, it's about changing hearts and minds as well. And fundamentally, what are we doing for humans to help them change their behaviour? What was your um, second example? Oh, the second example is it just came through over the weekend, actually. We have just funded the very first all-women ranger team in Indonesia. To hear the enthusiasm and the action and unearthing that, remember that a lot of the things that we're trying to do here must be repeatable. So that feeds back into your question around, well, gainful employment. This isn't just about the animals, it's about the people with the animals as well. So apart from collecting money, you're really looking for some sort of a normative change, a systemic change. What does that world look like when it's here? As it relates to the lion's share, it'll be in its little microcosm. You know, it feels big to us, but in the scheme of the world, it's little. The knock-on effect of what that might spark in the way brands look at their responsibility, the way Do we call people consumers or are they just people? They're both, I think. Okay. So that group of normal humans that want a voice that I believe are empowered because the brands really do listen to them. Mm. En masse, they listen to them. So I wonder what happens when the lion's share works, we generate systemic change and create a new norm. And the sparked ideas that come off that, that realize the power of the people the willingness for brands to be good because a lot of brands really do have great purpose and want to be good, but marshalling it in a way where there is real systemic change locked away, a new norm. As that starts to hopefully spread and more examples of lion's share happen, I think there's a real shot at healing this planet. The use of animals in advertising and marketing has been around for, for 150 years. Mm. And much of it's been done by purchasing stock footage uh, where the brand is at a very great distance from the location, the situation, the context, the habitat, the ecosystem where these animals lived. Mm. And without a thought to any anything being returned to that, that situation, surely this has to be a step at least in the right direction if that encourages brands and marketers to think a little bit more about, well, where did where did this footage come from? What was the situation? Are these animals under threat? In that sense, I think maybe a lot of them hadn't. But what they are, you know, we talked about um, the fact that they've all essentially got CSR um, initiatives and, per- and purpose. The, the challenge is they all have their own individual ones. 
And that's all great as well. I guess what we're trying to do here is change the standard. We're trying to align all of it because if we were able to just get Mars on board, it would be a nice number. We would have done a couple of these initiatives. When we can get the world brands on boards, it does something completely different. And I do understand people's want to do their own thing because they feel like it's aligned with their purpose. And I guess part of the narrative is let's just go up one or two more levels. And this is a more of a general human way or a new human way of working uh, or a new industry way of working rather than anyone's individual purpose. Because Finch has its own purpose and we do our own things as well. This is meant to have elevated it way beyond that. So it, it should be relevant, frankly, to everyone. That was Rob Galuzzo, co-founder of the Lineshare Fund and executive producer and founder of Sydney-based production company Finch, talking to me and Stephen Downs, a specialist in marketing and brand strategy at RMIT. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. We're going out with a song chosen by Rob. This is George Michael with Praying for Time. of the open hand They will not be the last Look around now These are the days of the beggars and the choosers This is the year of the hungry man This place is in the past Hand in hand With ignorance and legitimate Excuses The rich declare themselves poor And most of us are not sure If we have too much But we'll take our chances Cause God stops keeping score I guess somewhere along the way He must have let us all out to play All God's children crept out the back door. It's hard to love. There's so much to hate. Hanging on to hope when there is no hope to speak of and the wounded skies above. Say it's much too late.
Charity is a coat you wear twice a year This is the year of the guilty man The television takes a stand And you find that what was over there is over here So you scream from behind your door Say what's mine is mine and not yours I may have too much But I'll take my chances Cause God stopped keeping score And you cling to the things they sold you Did you cover your eyes when they told you That he can't come back Cause he has no children To come back for It's hard to love It's so much to hate Hanging on to hope When there is no hope to speak of And the wounded skies above Say it's much too late Maybe we should all Praying for time 